You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Hey everyone, <laughs> welcome back um, as we continue this series in Leviticus. And so, yeah, we've been going this, uh, when I first started this series, I didn't think it would, um, it was actually meant to be a, don't tell anyone, it was actually meant to be just a, a beginning of the year series for a month about rhythms and about looking at these ancient rhythms and adapting to our year. And then here we are nearly well and truly through the year. We're still exploring, but it's been such an interesting series and I appreciate any feedback or thoughts or challenges or invitations that you've given me around this series. And so today's going to be a, a fun one. And so we're going to talk about sexuality. And so, yes, probably an 18 plus sermon We're going to talk about sexuality and what is possibly the most controversial passage in Leviticus, if not the entire Bible. So much debate. And we're not going to kind of enter that debate as much as others have already, but rather speak again about the heart of this rhythm, this divine rhythm given to these people. Um, Some of you will know, some of you will have no idea because you're just meeting me, but I uh, spent some time as a high school teacher. At least I did a bit of my prac before I was fell or called into ministry. And so I, um, one of the things I remember distinctly about on one of my pracs was one of my teachers doing a sex education class to the students. And he was telling me, I'll never forget this comment. He said, this used to be way easier. He was an older man. This used to be way easier when we could exaggerate or even lie to the kids. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, we could tell them if they had sex, they would 100% get pregnant. Or, I don't know, they'd get a disease or something might fall off. And uh, we could tell them this and they couldn't go back and check us. We could kind of exaggerate, scare them into being careful, scare them into waiting. Um, instead now, he said, they can go online and actually check statistics. Now they can go online and hear other points of view. And he said, all of a sudden, we had to change a way I taught this to be more open, to be more honest, to be more authentic with the students because they could fact check everything. And the same thing can be said to the church, the churches, church in general around this topic. In some way, if we're honest with ourselves, and maybe you haven't been, but if I'm honest with myself, in some way, we have exaggerated things around sex. We've said, if you have sex, you will definitely go to hell. (laughs) Or things like that. These overarching statements, instead of having open, authentic conversations about why, about the depth and timeless vision of why these things can be great but can be destructive. And that's kind of what I want to unpack because 3,000 years ago, there's this law, there's this rhythm given to these people that outlines some incredible depth around sexuality and sex. And so we want to have a look at that today. Let me start by reading Leviticus 18. We're going to skip over the next, we're going to skip through the next few chapters, taking bits and pieces because there's a lot of repetition as per normal. But here we go. Let's dive into sexuality in the ancient book of Leviticus. Leviticus 18, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. 
You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord your God. Again, I just wanted to read this again because God, like this this book, at the start of each chapter, the start of each law, kind of God reaffirms that I am the Lord your God, which we've discussed before is actually, I'm the Lord your God who has rescued you. I'm the Lord your God who has forgiven you. I'm the Lord your God who lives amongst you. And so it's a declaration that why they have to do these laws. God is saying, I'm called you out. You don't have to be part of this tribe. You don't have to be part of this family. But if I'm going to be your God, if you are going to be my people, then here's some rhythms. Here's some ways I want you to live. I want you to be set apart from what the other tribes, the other nations are doing. And so there's this invitation around sex and the way we think about it and the way we deal with it. Leviticus 18.6. Here we go. Here's the fun stuff. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You should not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She's your mother. You should not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You should not uncover the nakedness of your sister. It's your father's daughter of your mother's daughter. Whether brought up in the family or in another home, you should not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter of your daughter's daughter. For their nakedness is your, um, for their nakedness, is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of the father's wife's daughter brought up in the father's family, since she is your father's relative, her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. I'll keep moving around down through this laws around incest, essentially. You shall not uncover the nakedness down to 13 of your mother's sister. We're in Leviticus 18, sorry. For she is your mother's relative. You should not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is. You should not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You should not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You should not uncover her nakedness. Let me keep going down. You should not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You should not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. You should not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter and uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And then we go to Leviticus 18, 19. Once they've covered incest, I know this is intense, but stay with me. You should not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she's on a menstrual uncleanness. And you should not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You should not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. You should not lie with a male as you with a woman. It is an abomination. You should not lie with any animal And so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it is a perversion. Leviticus 18.24 Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land has become unclean. So that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation 
that they're before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the person who do them should be cut off from among their people. Again, saying you don't have to be a part of these people. This is a call to a different type of nation. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 18, speaking about sex, sexuality, how it's used in this community and issues about being set apart. God, God then gives, let me continue, God gives consequence. We are going to open this up in a second. So in Leviticus 20, he talks about the consequence of living this way. The Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Moloch is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. If a man has sexual relations with his daughter-in-law, both of them are to be put to death. What they have done is perversion. Their blood will be on their hands. And so Leviticus 20 continues on. If a man marries both a woman and a mother, it is wicked. Both he and they must be burned in a fire so that no wickedness will be among you. If a man has sexual relationships with an animal, he is to be put to death and you must kill the animal. So I'm going to pause there, but that's from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. I'm going to talk about the middle in a moment. But God is talking about capital punishment for some of these things in this ancient order. He's serious about this stuff. But what do we do with this? 3,000 years later, what do we do with this? Stories of sex, incest, and death. Let me say a quick prayer, and then we're going to have a look at some of the, the rhythms and the divine community God was creating then and is still now. And let me pray first so as we tackle what is a pretty intense subject. Father God, I just pray as we open up an ancient book, possibly one of the most difficult passages around sexuality that is quoted as a weapon sometimes, that is quoted as to harm people, as hurt people. Lord, I just pray that you can give us, guide us with the Holy Spirit to un- unlock this, to talk about this and to be authentic about this. Do not exaggerate this, do not lie about this, but to have authentic, real conversations around God and sexuality. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of quick contextual points I want to give before we continue to unpack this. You may feel like this is ridiculous stuff for God to not tell them to do, but if God is telling them not to do, chances are that it's happening. So God's not making up random things. Hey, don't. I don't know, I'm trying to think of a random thing. <laughs> don't shovel sand on Wednesdays. He's, he's not making up random rules just to crush these people. He's making these rhythms, these rules, because it is happening in other tribes. Incest, sexuality, rape, all these things is happening. And so sacrificing of children is happening. And so sadly it was happening in Egypt. Sadly it was happening all around. And we know this historically that things like this were happening in these tribes. And so Jesus, or sorry, Yahweh is separating these people from this. And so that's really horrible to think that slavery, violence, and pedophilia was pretty common for God enough to say, no, we don't act like that. We don't do that. Let's continue. The other context here is I want to give the context and make sure that we know that the sex talked about here is violent. It's alluded to be like slavery. It has a pedophile overtone right through these two chapters just shared. What do I mean? 
Well, in both chapters, God mentions Moloch, the god of the other tribes that they were killing children and molesting children to make happy. And so this is intentional. It's meant to be read with a mindset of sex being used in the context of power, abuse, rape, sometimes kids. And, and so sex used as a way to try to fulfill ourselves or, or try to fulfill a God, try to please him, Moloch in this case. Yet God is calling him to something different, away from that God with a little case G, away from those ways of abuse, rape, pedophilia. This is why when we open the Bible and randomly quote these verses, we need to be sure that we understand the context. And number three, a bit of context here. We, we look at this in today and we go, how backwards are these people? How, why, Steve, are you talking about this today? We don't have that type of incest that's extremely common. What, what, what are you, why bother? Well, I live on the Gold Coast, which is one of the hotspots for domestic abuse of kids and women around Australia. It's a massive problem. Meanwhile, if I know if I were to log on now and I were to Google any type of porn website, research shows, statistics shows that the number one top porn requests revolve around incest, revolve around violence, and revolve around young. They're becoming more and more popular. It turns out that the human heart, the darkness there, heads towards this abuse of something that is good, aims to distort it always. And so maybe it's a little more hidden. Maybe it's a little more hidden behind a computer screen. But incest, young and violent, is actually not that far away from our society. Here, 3,000 years later, and we say we've progressed, but we have similar issue with porn addiction and this saturation of these elements. So let's not pretend we're too far away, removed from humans 3,000 years ago. So that's the context. And read with some reflection, this passage is asking us, inviting us, saying there's some very destructive things that they could possibly bring from other tribes. Yahweh does not require that, nor want that. In fact, he detests it. Yahweh is not out to get them. He's not out to get you. This is not some idle threat. This is not because he doesn't want them to have fun. This is because he worries about the destructive nature and power of sex and what it can do to a person and people. This is not unlike when I tell when 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 I say to Noah when he tries to run off from me onto a road. He's a four-year-old boy, if you don't know my son. I yell at him. I tell him he could die in a car crash if he's not careful. I don't yell at him for everything, hopefully. But when he's running onto a road, I will I won't sugarcoat it. I won't be polite about it. I won't go, oh mate, you shouldn't run away from me. No, mate, if you're running onto a road, do you want to die? Do you want to get hit by a car? Why? Because I love him. 
And that's an absolute nightmare situation. I don't want him to be hurt. It's not negotiable. He doesn't run onto roads. He can fight with me about what he has for dessert, or if he's going to have dessert, or what he, he doesn't want this, he doesn't want that. We can have arguments there, but it's non-negotiable about can he run into roads. Full force I will use to stop that. God says to these people, do you want to die? Do you want the land to vomit you up? Do you want your life, your family, to be taken and consumed by the destruction of these other tribes? Then don't go down this path. Jesus riffed <laughs> or essentially quoted this or spoke on this about 2,000 years later when he said, in, um, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown to hell. Jesus saying that there's this path. If you want to walk it, it's not going to end well. This, this verse he mentions is, is referencing two places when he says hell. It's referencing, yes, an eternal consequence. But it's also referencing outside the city gates where they'd burn their rubbish, where the sick would sit because they didn't believe they could come in. So he's saying, okay, you don't want to stop that behavior. You want to go down that path. I bet one day when your life smells like hot garbage outside the city gates, you'll wish you poked out your eye just to stop you heading down that path of destruction. You want to flirt a little with that intern, that employee. Cool. Think it's harmless? See where it goes. And I have to tell you, we all know people that have destroyed their life because of sexuality, sex. A simple temptation, but so incredible, but so destructive. Yahweh's telling his people, yeah, okay, abuse sex like these people, keep manipulating my creation, keep punishing or keep pursuing, sorry, this, this instant violent taking advantage of my creation and your nation will be done for. The wages of sin, that pathway is death, the natural normal order of this world. And so my encouragement out of this verse today just a couple of encouragements. Number one, don't make room in your life for this destruction. When it comes to sexuality, what we can learn from this ancient book and its context is don't make room. Don't make an inch in your life. Don't make, just don't make room in your life for this destruction. What are you watching? I know it's a feel like it doesn't matter but what are you letting what shows what youtube clips what conversations what from explicit and graphic to romantic drama filled emotional porn what is it what is it doing to you what are you letting in what are you making room for why are you making room for this destruction probably because it's entertaining it's addictive i get it do you know what mez and me my wife mez we got into a habit a couple of years ago we accidentally flipped on Marriage at First Sight. It's a reality TV show if you haven't seen it. It's utter rubbish. But my goodness, we got addicted. And about six weeks into the series, we found ourselves basing our dinner time around Married at First Sight. We're sitting there watching it. And my wife says to me, after one time, she goes, this is not good for us. Um, 
And I agreed. We didn't go off and think anything, do anything, act on this, but watching this show that was making a joke of the marriage of marriage and commitment was not healthy for us. It was just a small amount of distraction. Yes, it was entertaining. Yes, it was addictive, but it just wasn't good for our relationship. It wasn't producing anything good in us. It was romanticizing others. It was making a joke of the commitment of marriage. And I tell that as a bit of fun, but seriously, don't toy with this stuff. The sexuality is not a weapon. It's not something to flirt with. It's not harmless fun. Well, it can be and it's safe, but it can be really harmful too. The Bible could not be more clear. The proof in society, just look around, could not be more clear. It's worth our reflection. It's worth accountability. It's worth walking with somebody on this and inviting trusted people into this and it's inviting walking this with God. It's so destructive. It can be. Don't make room for the destruction. And so this is a message that was intended to the whole tribe. And so my other question when coming to this text is how do we talk about this message? As talked about high school teacher Steve, how do we talk about sexuality with people in a way that has conviction, that's authentic, that's real, that's not exaggerated? How do we talk about this outside the church? Is one of the ways that we need to create signs and picket things, and we would have seen the Westboro Baptist that says God hates fags as some churches in America do? Is that the Christian response to the world when we talk about divine sexuality? Do we try to simplify it, exaggerate it because we don't understand it? Do we tell people? Do we tell our kids? Do we tell our teenagers? Don't have sex or you'll go to hell. Do we not try to go any deeper or any more authentic in that and actually have a conversation? Don't be attracted to someone. Don't ever desire sex is what we could do if we wanted to be like the Pharisees and add levels to it that weren't there. Do we create laws upon laws? Don't even be alone with it. I, I don't know. Don't even flirt. Don't even talk as a teenager. I don't, I don't know. Do we create these laws on laws on laws as a church? And you might laugh at that. You go, oh, I don't know if we do that, Steve. But churches are pretty famous. And let me give you an example for creating laws on laws around this topic instead of going deeply into it. Let me give you an example. There's this book that's going to come up. It's by Joshua Harris, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. In the 90s, Josh Harris was a Christian household name. I had it on my um, bedside table and he wrote this book about dating. Um, in it, he set rules about why dating was essential. He didn't say it, but he alluded to it's kind of evil. And he had decided not to even kiss his girlfriend till they were married. He used verse and escalated things out of context and he created laws on laws and parents loved it. <laughs> you can understand why they're scared about their kids. They're scared around the destruction of sexuality, but the answer is not to put laws and laws and laws or even exaggerate. And so every teenage kid had a copy of this book on top of their Bible, a kiss dating goodbye. <laughs> he recently, Josh, apologized for the book and he wished he never wrote it. He did this last year because of the religious subculture he had caused. 
He then also months later, Joshua Harris, the man that wrote this book, has simply denied his faith. And he says he's left Christianity because of the outright regret and dysfunction he had felt he had caused and faced. My Christian counselor friends will say that their offices are filled with Christians, men and women who are scared of sex because of their upbringing, don't know how to talk about sex because of their upbringing. They're being damaged because of these laws on laws. They're being, they've grown to think sex is not something celebrated. That is not something created by God, not something that we can talk honestly and authentic about in trusted conversation because these laws on laws. Is that how we want to talk about sex? This was not God's why. This was not how God intended us to talk about sex. Even 3,000 years later, he was not trying to create a prude, uneducated, superstitious, religious, judgmental club. He created sex. There was an entire book of explicit content in the Bible. Christians, how we talk about this issue, how we present this issue to everyone, how we talk and move in society is important. That's why God gathers the whole tribe here to tell everyone about this, how we disciple this, how we live this, how we talk and develop mature Christians around this. So what's the answer? What am I saying? What is the way that we talk about sex? Yes, we need to be careful not to let the destruction, the abuse, the violence into our life. But how do we talk about sex in church and with other Christians? Well, Leviticus 19, the the scripture I skipped, gives us a beautiful thing in between these two. And I think the writer has deliberately done this. Put sex laws, sex laws, and then Leviticus 19 to remind us of what God is why he has given us these laws, why he wants us to avoid the destruction of sex, but to be authentic in it. Let me read a little bit of Leviticus 19, this this section in the middle. It says things like this in Leviticus 19.3. It says, Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. At the start at one, it says, The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say, Be holy because I am the Lord your God is holy. Do not turn to idols and make metal gods for yourself. I am the Lord your God. When you reap the harvest of the land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive each other. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf. Do not put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your Lord. This is a God that's trying to build a tribe that is inclusive in the sense of it's looking out for those that have disability. Hear that. It's looking out for people to be fairly paid, not ripped off. It's looking out for the poor and the person journeying and traveling past the refugee to be able to be fed, to not over... um, harvesting the land, but to leave margin, to be generous, to care for the poor. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one another. It goes on, observe my Sabbath in 30. You have reverence for my sanctuary under the Lord. Rest. This is a God who says rest. We're going to keep exploring this passage in the future, but in the middle of sex, 
incest and violence is this passage where God wants to remind you of why he's asking you to keep away from destruction, on why he's giving you these rhythms. He's building a family. He's building a family that loves each other, who is generous to strangers, who's generous to each other, who multiplies and grows and respects and shares and rests and celebrates. A unifying family table. And he wants us to know that sex can create, sex can multiply, sex in a healthy condition can enhance, or it can destroy. And so my second point is this, when we comes to talking about sex, remember the ways of Yahweh and the ways of Jesus are life-giving. Sex can be life-giving. As we disciple, as we talk about this, in your workplace, um, let this teaching not only be a warning about the destructiveness, but let it also be a warning about the judgment, the prude, the uptight, the, the religious. But remember the life-giving message, the hope, the ways, the generous, the love, the brilliant invention that is family. When people are crude about sex, we can be respectful because we respect it. When people are using sex as a weapon or in a controlling nature, we can lift up our partners. We can talk to them about or talk of them as not a means to an end, but a gift, not a, not a prize, but an incredible responsibility. They're a gift. We're not trying to squeeze every experience and exposure out of people in their lives, not needing to worship the experience of sex. We have more things going on in our life than just that. That's one good thing. Instead, life is full and incredible. And yes, let's play, but work and be. let's build. Not worshipping this experience as Hollywood does. Let's not be known for a people church that hate sex and life in general. People who instead are at peace with their land, then confident enough to be generous. They see the church and family as the most important things in their life, sacred, worth protecting, worth investing into. Let's be people who live and give life to the fullest. Let me pray, and then I'll give you a couple of questions to discuss. Father, it's a heavy verse, and Lord, I just pray that as we reflect and we go back through these verses, you will speak to us in all types of different ways. But Father, the, the main two themes we've drawn out, Lord, I pray you speak to us through. Lord, protect us from the destructive nature, society-killing ways that sex can bring. Dysfunction, violent, pedophilia, abuse. But Lord, let us celebrate and us talk with authenticity around the gifts, all of them that you've given us. That we're able to build families, build a community, healthy community. Father, do that within us. Help us to speak truth around this. Help us to speak boldly around this and keep us not from temptation. Thank you for being with us this morning, Lord. 
your Holy Spirit stir in these ways, in these very, very deep ideas. In Jesus' name. Amen. Three questions for you to spend some time reflecting around sex and sexuality. One, what are some ways sexuality has become destructive or potentially destructive in your life? Two, what are some things in your life that you've become perhaps religious and they choke life, not give life? So what are some things you've developed that maybe are a little bit too far? They're laws on laws on laws on laws and they've become religious. And number three, who are you talking with about this? We all need accountability. Who's your small table, your small group, your trusted people that you can share some of the destructive things that are tempting and some of the life-giving things that you're trying to produce? It's great to have people. That's why we have the church. So I encourage you to find people to talk about that. Hey, thanks for journeying with me. Uh, if there's anything that's um, you've picked up or anything that's resonated with you, love to hear from you. Comment, comment below or have a chat. But um, yeah, we'll see you next next time as we continue through this Leviticus series.